Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you all back to Quinton Baptist Church this morning and share with you a few announcements for this upcoming week. Um, first of all, today's flowers have been <laughs> placed uh, by Dottie Hefner in loving memory of Ted. And then after today's service, if you'd like, we will all be joining together in the foyer for refreshments um, before Sunday school. And then, um, speaking of Sunday school, there will be a new Sunday school program starting next Sunday where there will be four different classes for high school through adults. Um, you can see more details about that in your bulletin as well. And then, um, for events coming up this week, next Saturday, we have Fast Car for our Olympians and Gopher Buddies at one o'clock. And then um, there will be a heart-to-heart -heart luncheon on Monday, February 12th. Um, and then you may have looked around today and noticed that we are missing some teenagers and even some adults because our youth group is actually heading home from upstate New York snow camp um, today. So let's keep them in our prayers um, that they'll just have safe travels home and that it has hopefully been a, a great weekend for them of fun, but also just learning about the Lord and growing in their walk with him. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Joe now for our prayer. Let's open our service with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for each and every one that you've brought out today. We thank you for those that are watching on TV this morning, Lord. We ask your blessing upon each one. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray for our pastor this morning as he brings the message that you've given to him for us, Lord. May our hearts be open for that. We just thank you for all the good things that you provide for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. morning. Hope that everyone's having a great morning this morning. Uh, we do, as uh, JV just mentioned, the teens are up at Word of Life this morning. They're going to be getting ready for... Uh, their last session, uh, their last uh, Bible session this morning is going to start off with music, a lot like ours does. Now, their music is probably a lot louder and rockier than ours are. And younger. <laughs> and, and younger, <laughs> yes. But whether we're up in New York or down here, it's all about worship. And that's really where we want to be this morning is about worshiping God. So let's stand together this morning and worship.
Strong and perfect, we bring a 
Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Haggai. Right. Chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then I said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and that what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. But when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I stuck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we do just praise you for this morning. We praise you for the chance that we have uh, to gather as a church, to come before you, to lift up our voices and sing to you and to open up your word and to hear from you. And Lord, we do just pray that you would uh, just give us a great morning this morning. And Lord, it's before you that we come and we also bring these prayer requests. Lord, I do just pray, uh, first of all, for a snow camp for all the teens that are up there right now as they're challenged in their faith, as they're uh, challenged to uh, place their faith in you, to uh, live their life for you. Lord, I do just pray that you would just uh, help them to just consider their life, consider their ways, consider uh, just where they're going and what direction they're going. And Lord, I do just pray that you would help them to make wise decisions. Lord, we do also just pray for traveling home, Lord, for those at snow camp, Lord. I know it's a, a long drive and it's supposed to be a rainy day, Lord. I do just pray that you would give them safety as they travel. 
And Lord, uh, we just pray that you'd bring them back safely. Lord, we do uh, pray for Arlene, Lord, as she is having her chemo treatments upcoming Wednesday, Lord. We do just pray that things would go well for that. We pray that she would uh, just fully recover from the sickness she had this past week uh, and just be back to full strength uh, in order for, to do the chemo. And Lord, we do pray for uh, Sherm, Lord, Sherm Miller, as he's just started uh, this extra treatment now this past Friday, Lord. We do just pray for him as he's in the midst of it all, Lord, and it's going to be uh, a, lo- a long road for him for the next few weeks. Lord, we do just pray that you would give him comfort physically. Uh, Lord, help, help him to deal with any side effects or uh, difficulties. And Lord, I do just pray uh, that it would result in healing, Lord. All the treatment that he's going through would just result in healing uh, to his body. Lord, I do just pray that you would be the great physician in that situation. Lord, we do pray for uh, Ron, uh, Bruce Sherman's uh, boss and friend, Lord, who's taken to UPenn. Uh, and Lord, we do just pray that you'd be with the doctors as they take care of him. Uh, as they uh, find out exactly what's going on and treat him appropriately, Lord, we do just pray for healing uh, for him. Lord, we do pray for uh, Sarah Jane Kiker's sister as she uh, had a stroke this week, Lord, and she was in the hospital. We do uh, praise you that she's home, Lord, and we do just pray that you would uh, just continue to be with her um, and uh, help her to heal, Lord, and uh, to come to healing. Lord, we do continue to pray for Betty Brennan, Lord. We do just pray as she uh, just meets with doctors, as she uh, just goes on different uh, tests and different things like that. Lord, we do pray that um, you would just help the doctors be able to figure out exactly what's going on. We do praise you that she's been feeling better the past few days, Lord. We do just pray that that would continue and that she would just feel back to full strength soon. Lord, we do pray for uh, our missionary, Herb Curden, Lord, as he's been in the hospital for months now. Uh, Lord, we do just pray um, just w- with a lot of different medical issues that he's going through, Lord. We do pray that you would uh, bring healing to him, Lord. Uh, he's got this long road to recovery. And, uh, Lord, I do just pray that you'd give the doctors wisdom to know exactly what to do and that you'd bring about healing in his life. We do pray for uh, Naomi Fogg this morning, Lord. She's uh, just been dealing with uh, pain in her right hip, Lord. Just, she's got uh, an appointment Tuesday to get it checked out, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, just help that appointment to go well, and Lord, that you'd bring healing to her hip, Lord, that you would just uh, help her to feel better uh, soon. Lord, we do continue to pray for our missionary of the month, Caitlin Hill. We just pray that you'd uh, bless her um, and what she's doing, and Lord, uh, just be with her every step of the way, Lord. Encourage her this morning. Uh, just help her to uh, keep her heart focused on you and help that to just be an encouragement to her. And Lord, we do just pray for our church, Lord. We pray that you would just bless us uh, as we just do these different ministries and activities that we have going on, and uh, even Fast Car this upcoming weekend, Lord. We do just pray that you'd be with that ministry, uh, just be with the whole Olympians ministry. But Lord, I specifically pray for Fast Car that it would just be a great opportunity for a lot of kids to come out and to have a great time, but more importantly, to hear about you. And Lord, I do just pray uh, for this service now, Lord. We pray as we continue to worship, we pray that you would be lifted up and glorified. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. As you stand as we continue our worship. Children are dismissed for Children's Church.
Well, to answer uh, the question that I've been asked multiple times this morning, uh, things, Dana is still here. Uh, we don't have a baby yet. Uh, we're still waiting on that. Uh, we are within the three-week window, though, of the due date, so at any point in time, uh, you could be hearing news. So be praying for Dana and for our baby and just a healthy delivery with all of that. And I did want to say up front, um, uh, after, uh, immediately following uh, when we have the baby, uh, the following Sunday, Dan, and the following Sunday after that, Dan Baldwin, uh, retired pastor uh, from Cohansey Baptist Church, will be giving the messages uh, for those two mornings. So I want to say thank you in advance uh, for being a part of that, um, for really taking that load off of me so that I could focus on Dana and the baby uh, during that time. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, as we gather uh, before you this morning, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would go before us, that your spirit would be here with us. And Lord, I pray that we would grow closer to you, we would learn more about you through everything that is said and uh, just uh, everything that we go through this morning. Lord, we do just pray that it's all for your honor and your glory. Pray these things in your name. Amen. When I was younger, uh, we had a, a dog. She was a German shepherd, not quite like this, but she loved to go outside. She loved playing outside uh, and doing all of that stuff. But, you know, when she went outside when it was raining or right after she uh, was in the rain or right after it rained and it was muddy and everything, she would often come in looking like this. If anyone's had a dog, you probably know what this is like. And you know that it's a danger when she enters your house because, you know, you, you're gonna, your house is going to get messy if you don't be careful. We would keep a, a towel right by the door so that when our dog would come in, we would wipe her down with a towel to try to get her all dried off. But if she snuck past you and got into the house, she would often shake and water would go everywhere and uh, the house would be a mess and her paw prints would be all through the house. And we learned something very interesting through that and that's that dirtiness spreads very easily. And cleanliness doesn't. You know, we wish that cleanliness would just spread through the house. That's not really how it works, right? Dirt spreads easily. Cleanliness doesn't. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little this morning. We're going to be in Haggai. We're finishing the series that we've been starting in Haggai. It's been a pretty quick series, but Haggai is a pretty quick book. Uh, so we started the series talking about God's command to Israel to build his house, to build the temple. And he uh, challenged them to say, stop focusing on your life and start paying attention to my house and the things of the Lord. And then last time we talked about God coming alongside of them and encouraging them in the midst of while they're trying to serve the Lord, while they're trying to build God's house. God says, you know, there's discouragements that's going to come along the way and God encouraged them. He said, I am with you. I'm in control. I have control of the future. And it was an encouragement last time. And this time, we're going to be concluding by asking a simple question, and that's how are we supposed to serve the Lord? How are we supposed to build God's house? You know, the first message was a call to build His house. The second one was dealing with discouragement. But the third one is about us asking the question, how are we supposed to be as people who are serving the Lord and building His house? This comes in Haggai's uh, third message. So the book of Haggai is broken up into four messages that Haggai gives. The last two we're going to cover today because the last one is very short. And the last two are delivered on the same day. They're about two months after the previous message um, at the beginning of Haggai chapter 2. And the message at the beginning of Haggai chapter 2 is about one month after 
the message of Haggai chapter 1. So all of the messages of Haggai happen within about a three-month time span. The entire book of Haggai is given in about three months. And this is the third of the messages. And Haggai is going to start this message to the people by starting with some questions. Haggai is going to start with an illustration for them. He asks questions and he asks them to the priests. Now the priests would have been those in charge of the temple, uh, in charge of the, the law, the Levitic law, and they would make decisions based on what they saw in the law. So it starts with Haggai asking some questions, and it starts with this illustration that comes with these two questions. Let's read what this is, starting in verse 10. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Let's pause right there. So Haggai starts with these two questions, and they concern holiness and uncleanness. The first question that he asks concerns holiness. Now, holiness, back in the Levitical law and the way the priests would conduct it, something was holy if it was dedicated for the temple. You know, uh, uh, a lamb would be holy if it was dedicated for the temple. Now, in order for something to be holy, it had to be pure and clean before the Lord. Any lamb that was going to be dedicated to the temple had to be a spotless lamb. You can't have any spots on the lamb that you're declaring for the Lord. So Haggai asked this first question. He says, you know, if you have this holy meat, this meat that's going to be dedicated to the Lord, taken to the temple, if you're carrying it in the, uh, the fold of your garment and you touch something else, does that holiness transfer to whatever you touched? Does holiness transfer from one thing to another? And the priests say, no. That's not how holiness works. Holiness doesn't get transferred by bumping into something. If you have holy meat that's dedicated for the temple and it touches something, it's not going to get transferred. And Haggai says, okay, so now I got a second question for you. And the second question involves uncleanness. Now, before I get into the actual question, I want to give a little bit of a backstory on the idea of cleanliness and uncleanness as presented in the Levitical law. So in the uh, book of Leviticus, we get these two categories of, uh, of actions. One is sin and not sin. And then there's a separate category that's clean and unclean. Now, we don't really talk about this second category today because we don't have a temple. But the second category is more concerned with something that would be presented to the Lord in the temple. The first category is about sin and not sin. And that means something that is not sinning before the Lord or sinning before the Lord. But this second category is slightly different. Something was considered clean or unclean, whether or not it was suitable to enter the Lord's house. If something was unclean, it was not suitable to enter the Lord's house. Now, there's, it's possible that something could be unclean but not a sin. That's why I say there are two separate categories. Sin and unsin, or clean and unclean, are two separate categories. Because whether or not something's clean or not is not a relevance to whether or not it's sin. Here's some examples of what I mean when I say that. It was considered unclean, according to Leviticus chapter 11, to touch a dead animal. That's not a sin. That would just make you unclean. 
It was also considered unclean in Leviticus chapter 12. Uh, a woman after she had given birth would be considered unclean for a set amount of time. Again, definitely not a sin. <laughs> the other thing is Leviticus 13, uh, Leviticus 13, having leprosy made you unclean. Again, that's not a sin issue. And the one that specifically gets brought up here is in uh, Leviticus chapter 21, verse 11. If you come in contact with any dead body, you were considered unclean. Now, what, why did it matter whether or not something was clean or unclean? And the answer is, if something was unclean, it was not allowed to enter the temple. It was not allowed to enter the temple of the Lord. In fact, it was such an extreme situation that this is what the Lord says in Leviticus 15.31. He says, thus he shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. In other words, if people who are unclean enter the tabernacle or later the temple, they would defile that because of their uncleanness. And God said that the consequence of that could be that they die. Now, that's pretty extreme. That's some pretty extreme words. Why would God treat this topic like this? And the answer is because God was very intentional about setting his tabernacle and his temple as a place that was holy and pure and clean. And he said that there's no room for any uncleanness in there. God was making a statement about how the tabernacle, the place where he was dwelling, was supposed to be treated. And it was supposed to be treated with purity and cleanness and not uncleanness. Now, that brings us to the question that we actually have before us. And this is the question that Haggai asked the priest. He says, if somebody who is unclean because they came in contact with a dead body, if that person who's unclean touches something else, does it become unclean? And the priests say yes. And we have this weird situation between these two questions where we learn something, and that's that holiness doesn't transfer through contact but uncleanness does transfer through contact. Uncleanness transfers to other things through their contact. We say, well, why, why is it like that? Why does holiness not transfer, but uncleanness does transfer? And to kind of give a little bit of an illustration, I want you to think about sickness. If you put two people, who, uh, two people in a room together and one person is sick with the flu and the other person is completely healthy, does the healthiness of the healthy person transfer to the sick person? No, right? The health doesn't transfer. But what does transfer? The sickness. The healthy person's going to get sick pretty quickly. And it's the same thing with this. God says the uncleanness does transfer while the holiness, the cleanness, does not. So what's the point of all of this? Why do we even bring this up? Why, why does Haggai go down this discussion? And Haggai kind of gets to his punchline here in verse 14. And this is what it says. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now what's God saying there? God's saying simply that unclean hands or unclean people corrupts the service. God says what they do is unclean and the reason that what they do is unclean is because the people are unclean. Now this time God is not talking about ritual uncleanness, whether or not you can or cannot enter the temple. God is now talking about sin. And God says to the Israelites, listen, the sin that you have in your hearts 
is making your hands sinful and unclean, and therefore the work that you're doing is unclean work. Think about that. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Think about how that applies to us. God, if God says to us that if your heart is unclean, if your heart is caught up in sin, then it will corrupt your service and your work for the Lord. And that's what Haggai is saying here. Now, there's two things about this that I want to pull out. The first one is that good works don't make us clean. Uh, look at the next verse in verse 15 and on. I'll start in verse 15. It says, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So, God brings up the fact that the, the work that the people are doing, God is making sure it doesn't come to pass. If you guys remember back in Haggai chapter 1, God says something very similar to that. And the reason that God gives back then is he says, because you're not building God's house. So the people said, okay, we're going to start building God's house. And they start building the house of the Lord. They start serving the Lord. And the people thought that if they started doing that, it would make everything better. And now here they are three months later, and God says, it's not better. Why isn't it better? God says, because although you started building the house of the Lord, you started doing the good deeds, your hearts are still sinful. Your, the work of your hands are still unclean. Therefore, the work that you're doing is still unclean. And that, th that goes in the face of everything that we might think. Because we often think, you know, if you do the good deeds, if you do enough good things, if you spend your time serving the Lord, then that will all of a sudden get rid of the problem. And God says that doesn't get rid of the problem. Doing good deeds doesn't make you clean. Just like uh, something that's holy, when it touches something else, doesn't spread its holiness to them. Holiness does not transfer. Good deeds don't transfer to make you good. It's not how this works. Uh, example of that, if I poured you guys a glass of water, now I love a good glass of clean water, but if I poured you like the cleanest water that we could possibly have, you know, something straight from a spring in a mountain somewhere, just some crystal clear water, and I poured that out for you, and I poured a glass there, but then I took three drops of some contaminated waste and dropped it into the water, maybe something from the nuclear plant or something like that, and I dropped th three drops of that into the water, and I stirred it up. Would you drink it? No, because pollution spreads. It doesn't matter how clean the water was at the beginning, the cleanliness of the water doesn't clean the contaminated stuff. It doesn't clean the pollution. Instead, the pollution spreads to everything else. And it's the same with us. We can do good works all day long, but if we have sin in our lives, then that contaminates all the good that we do. James 2.10 says it like this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all of it. That's an extreme statement. No matter how much good you do, if you've sinned, that sin pollutes and contaminates our good deeds. Good deeds are not the answer. 
There's a second thing I want to pull out about this. That it's just a reality of it all. And it's that God cares about our hearts and not just our actions. Now this often is not what we think. Oftentimes we think if we have the right actions, then everything is good. And we're taught to think like that. You know, in society, in the workforce, that's what matters. Is if you get results, if you do the right actions, then that's all that really matters. We even have the, say, the saying, the end justifies the means. If you get the right results, then it doesn't matter how you do it. I spent many years working at a custom picture framing uh, shop from, with my dad. And I, sp I would often be given a pile of things and be given like hours to work on it all by myself. And I would sit there on a saw working for hours at a time. And during that time that I was sitting there, I could let my mind do whatever it wanted to do. I could think about school or I could think about uh, life or I could think about at the time my wife and, and well, at the time my girlfriend and then my wife. Uh, and I could think about anything that I want. I could even think about how much I hated the job if I wanted to. I could think about how much I didn't like the boss, which the boss is my dad, so I did like him. But I, I could think about that if I wanted to, right? I could sit there in my mind cursing the job if I wanted to, but if I got the job done, and that was all that mattered. The results are all that mattered. If I did the job, then that's good enough. And we often approach the Lord like that. Well, if I do the job, then that's good enough, but that's not how God works. God doesn't just con concern himself with the actions, with what we do, he concerns himself with our hearts. Where is our hearts at as we do it? It's not about doing it. It's about how we go about doing it. Think about these verses for a second. The first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. It's the words of Samuel the prophet to Saul the king after Saul had sinned against the Lord. And this is what Samuel says. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Another verse is like it in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. This is the Lord speaking. He says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What are these verses saying? God says, I don't just want the outward thing. I don't just want the sacrifices. I don't just want the burnt offering. I want your heart. I want you to have steadfast love, to have knowledge of God, to obey the voice of the Lord. God's concerned with our hearts, not just our actions. And that's important for us to know. Because oftentimes we can think, well, if I just do the job, if I just do this thing for the Lord, then that's good enough. But that's not what God is concerned about. He's concerned that we have the right mindset, the right attitude as we do that. And there's no room for uncleanness and sin in there. Now, I do just want to be clear about one thing uh, before I move on. And that's the fact that just because someone has sin in their life does not mean that God cannot use them anyway. In fact, the Bible's full of God using sinful people. If you look in the life of Abraham, the life of Jonah, the life of uh, Saul before he becomes Paul, we see sinful people and we see God say, I can use that anyway. And that's what God does. God constantly uses sinful people, but that is not an excuse for us to say, I can keep sin in my life and have that be okay. God says, no, you're called to have a cleanness and not sin. Now, if you've been following the sermon up to this point, 
you might come to a, a grim realization about yourself and you might say, well, I'm a, I'm a sinner and the Bible, and what Pastor Jay just said is that if you sin once, then you're guilty of sin. So I'm just a sinner and I'm, I'm unclean as a person. What do I do about this? There doesn't seem to be any solution. Good works is not the solution. So what is the solution? And this is where we move to next. That we can have hope despite all of it. And this hope is that in Christ we can have clean hands. In the middle of this message to, Israel, to the Israelites about their uncleanness and the unclean works of their hand, God turns the discussion around. And he, God does two things. The very first thing He does is He blesses them despite their uncleanness. Read verses 18 and 19 with me. God says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider... Is the seed yet in the barn, indeed the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing? But from this day on, I will bless you. Wow. Think about that. The title of this whole section in my Bible, that, you know, we have these titles and they're not actually part of the Bible, but they're things that people put on there. But the title of this section is A Blessing for a Defiled People. And that is Amazing. It blows me away. Why would God, in the middle of talking about how Israel is unclean, defiled because of their sin, God turns things around and says, but from now on, I'm going to bless you. And we say, wait a second. How does, why would God do that? Why would God bless people who were unclean in their sin? But isn't that what God does? Isn't what that God does to you and to me? We see that play out throughout the entire Bible. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. He's forgiving. That in the midst of our sin, God chooses to bless. Think about people throughout the entire Bible. Abraham, a sinful man, and God said, I'm going to bless you. His son, Isaac, Definitely a sinful man. Did a lot of things that were sinful. And God still said, I'm going to bless him. We could look through the entire Bible and there's sinful people that God chooses to bless. And it's the same with us. We're sinful people that the Lord chooses to bless. Now, does that mean that he lets us get away with sin, that he just sweeps sin under the rug? No. Instead, we're going to get to what he does next with our sin. That's the he forgives us our sin. Not based on what we do, but on based on the work of Jesus Christ. Let's read the end of this book. There's one more message that Haggai gives here, and he's going to give it to Zerubbabel. Now, just to remind you guys who Zerubbabel is, uh, we talked about this back in chapter 1. Zerubbabel was the governor over Jerusalem at this time. He was the one in charge of rebuilding the temple. He was also someone who was a descendant of David, so he actually held the kingly line of David uh, in his genes. Uh, so that was who Zerubbabel was. And now Haggai is going to bring that up as he talks to him. Starting in verse 20, this is what it says. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders 
and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's God saying to Zerubbabel? He says, there's going to, become, there's going to come a day. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to overthrow kingdoms. I'm going to tear down militaries. The horse and the rider are going to go down. The chariots are going to be destroyed. And then God says, and in that day, Zerubbabel, you are going to be to me like a signet ring. Now, what's a signet ring? Why is that important? Why would it be important that God pulls that out, that he would call Zerubbabel the signet ring? The signet ring was a mark of the king. It was a ring that the king would carry around, and when he wanted to make a declaration to people, he would uh, put the signet ring in wax and dip it into, onto the paper, and he would leave an imprint on there, and that's how the king would mark himself. It was like a signature that only the king would have. That signet ring carried with it authority, the authority of the king. And God said, Zerubbabel, you will be my signet ring. I will make you like a signet ring. Now, why is that important? And it's important because of what happened to Zerubbabel's grandfather. Now, Zerubbabel's grandfather was a man named Jehoiachim. He was the king of Israel. He was the very last king of Israel before Babylon comes in and destroys Israel and carries them into exile. Uh, But before that, God's going to make this declaration through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah uh, chapter 22, verse 24. God makes this proclamation to, to Jehoiakim. Now here, here he calls him uh, Konea, which was another name for him. And this is what God says in Jeremiah 22, verse 24. God says, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off. Think about that. This was someone who was the king of Judah, who was from the line of David, and God said, the kingly authority that you carry, I'm going to take you off. I'm going to tear you off. And then, immediately, that king is the last king before Israel gets destroyed and carried into exile. God says, the kingly line that was coming through David is ending here. And it stayed ended while Israel was in exile. But here, these years later, with Jehoiachim's grandson, Zerubbabel, God says, the signet rings back. And if you look in Matthew chapter 1, the kingly line of David that gets passed down all the way to Jesus, who do you see? Zerubbabel. What God's saying to Zerubbabel is you are continuing the kingly line now. The kingly line that I took off with your grandfather, I'm putting back on with you, and from you is going to come the king who's going to sit on the throne forever. And that's Jesus. That's where this book, the entire book of Haggai, leaves us with is this expectation of Jesus Christ. And when he comes to the earth, He doesn't sit on his throne the first time he comes. He will the second time. But the first time he comes, he comes as the servant. The one who gives his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life for you and for me so that you and I can have forgiveness 
of our sins, our sin problem can get dealt with once and for all. That we can be clean before the Lord again, not because of our work, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, when we talked earlier, we said, holiness does not transfer, but uncleanness does. But with Jesus Christ, things are different. With Jesus Christ, his righteousness does transfer. He says, I will take your uncleanness, your sin on myself, and I will pay that penalty. And the Bible says that we get given Christ's righteousness, Christ's cleanness on each one of us when we believe in Jesus Christ. That Christ's righteousness, his cleanness gets transferred to each one of us and we can have forgiveness of our sins and a peaceful relationship with God. So what do we do with this message? And the answer is, we serve God with clean hands. If we have sin in our lives, we come to Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to think about that this morning. Because this is where it all starts. We as people are unclean because of our sin, but because of the work that Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we can have our sins removed and be clean before the Lord. Righteous before the Lord. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to turn to him this morning and say, Lord, I need help. I am unclean. I need you to take away my uncleanness. I'd encourage you to talk to me afterwards, talk to any of the people who are going to be up front afterwards about this. We would love to talk with you about how God can take away our uncleanness. But then for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ already, we come to a reality. And that's that although God has forgiven our sins, we still live this life as sinful people. And the Bible says that we need to overcome that sin. The Bible says that we are not to serve him with sin in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul talks, and he's talking about worship, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's talking about how we serve the Lord and how we worship him in that service. And he says the way you do it is by offering your body as a living sacrifice. Notice he's not concerned with actions. He's concerned with us. He's concerned with our hearts and where our hearts are at. And then he gives these descriptions of what it's supposed to look like. He says, holy and acceptable. If you looked in the Old Testament about lambs or rams that were going to be sacrificed, what had to happen for them to be holy and acceptable? It had to be unblemished. They had to have no defects, no uncleanness, and no sin. And that's how we're called to serve the Lord. And that's hard to do because we often live lives that have sin every single day. And that sin makes us unclean before the Lord. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness, but we need to overcome that sin in our lives. That's difficult. It takes a lot of steps. It means praying to God to help him, help, have Him help us overcome that sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. It means looking for help for our sin talking to people, getting people to help us deal with our sin. It takes us taking steps to overcome that sin 
within our lives. But that's what we're called to do. As we serve the Lord, as we live for Him, as we build His church, God's concerned with our hearts as well as our actions. He's concerned with are we living for Him or are we harboring sin within our hearts. There have been many people that I've seen through my life that are people who did all the right things in church. They served the Lord. They were involved in all these ministries, but in their own life, they carried with them sin. And that sin ultimately hurt their service for the Lord. And God says, you're not to serve me with your sin. You serve me with a pure heart. So this is where we end the whole series of Haggai. We talk about building the Lord's house. We're encouraged in the first message to get up and build. In the second message, we're encouraged uh, to be encouraged in the midst of disappointment. But here, God says, where is your heart as you serve him? And that's the question that each one of us needs to ask this morning is where are our hearts as we serve the, to the Lord this morning? We're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to end this message with giving you guys just a few moments to pray within your own hearts. This is something we do typically when we do communion. We inspect our own hearts. We confess any sins to the Lord. And I want to give you guys a moment to think about your lives and ask a simple question. Where's there sin in my life that needs to get dealt with so that I can serve the Lord with clean hands? So I'm going to give us a moment to do that right now. Lord, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that our sin has made us unclean and unfit to build your house. But Lord, because of your great love, because of your great mercy and compassion, you sent Jesus Christ to pay that penalty. Lord, I pray that we would have Forgiveness of our sins, not through anything we've done, not through our works, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that as we live out our lives, that we would fight for victory over sin. I pray for anyone here this morning that in that silent moment, there's a sin that popped right into their mind. I pray that you would help them with that sin. That they would look to you, that they would turn for help from someone around them, somebody that is close to them, Lord, that we would deal with the sin in our lives. Lord, we wouldn't just let it go. We wouldn't just continue living in sin. But I pray that we would deal with it this morning. We'd make decisions to live for you, to be clean for you, so that as we serve you, you can do it with clean hearts and with clean hands. It's all by the power of your Son and what he did for us on the cross. I pray all these things in your name.
Amen. We're going to conclude our service this morning with one last song. And this song is about the fact that we need God. That we come before Him as sinners. And we need God to overcome that sin. So let's stand and as we sing, Lord, I need you. Maybe something that was said this morning really struck with you. 
Maybe you thought about that sin that's in your life that you want to do something about and you just don't know what to do. You just don't know where to turn. We will have people up front who would just love to talk with you, to pray with you, to give advice and counsel. You'd also feel free to reach out to me at any point in time. We would, I would love to talk with you about what's going on in your life. And Lord, as we go out today, we pray that we would be people who don't just let sin go in our lives. That we do something about it. So we can live for you with clean hands and with a pure heart. For all these things in your name. Amen.